Three years ago, the Agriculture Department launched Farmers.gov. The new IT system was meant to deliver self-service tools to farmers and ranchers who rely on government support. USDA plans to spend nearly $170 million on it by 2023. Well, how's it working? No one quite knows because USDA hasn't followed its own rules for documenting progress on IT programs. The feedback it's gathered from farmers isn't especially illuminating either. The Government Accountability Office made 15 recommendations to improve USDA's oversight of this program. For more, Federal News Network's Jared Serbu spoke with the GAO's VJ D'Souza. Farmers.gov is a system that USDA set up to provide services to farmers, ranchers, and other folks that receive grants and loans from USDA. And there's two parts to it. One part is a publicly facing site that anybody can go to. So for example, if you are a farmer or maybe want to be a farmer, you can go to this site to figure out what loans you might be eligible for. The second part of it is an authenticated site, which means you log in. And so if you get a loan or a grant from USDA, you can log in to check your status. And then as part of that, USDA employees use the same system kind of on the back end to administer a lot of these loan programs. Yeah, and as you kind of suggest, it's much more than just a a website. I think the total investment USDA has planned for this was, I think you said, $167 million over five years. So a big project that you would expect a lot of oversight to be associated with. As the report points out in a good amount of detail, the, the department has a lot of oversight mechanisms on paper that are supposed to be applied to projects like this, but they just they skipped a lot of those steps. Can you just give us a flavor for some of the oversight mechanisms that should have been applied here according to USDA policy and were not? Sure. So USDA has a series of boards that are supposed to meet to review its IT investments. And what we found, especially at the senior level, is that these boards weren't even meeting for the last several years. So if they weren't meeting, there's no way they could review investments. In addition, specific to farmers.gov, we found that a lot of the artifacts or documentation that you would need to develop in order for management and leadership to review uh, investment simply didn't exist. So between those two things, it's really hard to see how USDA could effectively oversee the program. USDA did tell us they had a number of informal processes in place to conduct oversight. But again, with a project serving so many people across the country and you know handling billions of dollars, It's really important to have more structured oversight processes in place. The launch of this website was was really right around the time that this mission area was undergoing a pretty significant reorganization when they consolidated several of the relevant agencies into this new thing called the uh, Farm Production and Conservation Mission Area, FPAC. Did that sort of turmoil that was going on at that point around restructuring leadership, especially in the IT area, have much to do with some of these missing oversight steps, as far as you can tell? I think it definitely played a part. For example, I mentioned that some of these boards weren't meeting. One of the boards wasn't even founded until after this project was underway. So that's definitely a piece of it. More separately, FPAC has a lot on its plate as far as trying to consolidate three separate agencies into one consolidated entity. So that was actually the second part of our report. We looked at some of the efforts that FPAC had underway to really create a stronger IT organization for the consolidated group. Yeah, you want to just expand on that a little bit and and what you found as far as the success of that, that effort to strengthen the oversight? Sure, happy to do so. So we looked at three areas. We looked at IT workforce planning, We looked at duplication and overlap or efforts to reduce IT duplication and overlap. And then we looked at efforts to measure and improve customer service. Uh, With respect to all of these areas, we found that FPAC had a ways to go to 
do what it needs to do in these areas. With respect to IT workforce planning, for example, FPAC ha has a significant shortage in its staff, but what we found is they hadn't really done a formal analysis to figure out exactly how many types of IT staff in different roles needed. And as a result of not having that, you can't really have a plan to figure out how you're going to address all these gaps you have in your IT workforce staff. One of the things we heard to tie it back to farmers.gov is that USDA didn't necessarily have a lot of staff that were familiar with the project methodology that they were using on this project. So it was harder, hard for them to do oversight. With respect to duplication and overlap, uh, FPAC has a couple initiatives underway in areas such as data center duplication and moving to the cloud, but it lacked an overall strategic plan and it lacked performance measures to figure out, is it, are there really tangible steps and is it achieving those steps to reduce duplication in the organization? And then with respect to customer service, interestingly enough, USDA did do a survey of farmers.gov customers or more broadly farmers to measure their satisfaction, but they did the survey more than a year ago. And as of the time of our report, it still hadn't released the results. Now, USDA later told us that there was a number of problems with the survey, but the intention was that this was supposed to be an annual process. And the point we made is you need to have different customer service metrics, and then you can use the survey to see, you know, are you meeting the mark for your customers or not? Without those processes in place, you don't really know if you're making the end user, you know, the, the farmer, the rancher, or even the USDA employee happy with this multi-million dollar system. Yeah, and it seems like that's really a, a big bottom line here is, A, there's a lot of missing documentation that you would normally use to do oversight and assess the status of the program and how things are working. If you don't have that, maybe you can ask the users how things are working. But if you don't have that either, it's just really hard to say what you're getting out of this multi, as you said, multi-million dollar investment. So I think your bottom line here really is we don't really know how well farmers.gov is performing. And that in itself is kind of risky, right? Yeah, I think that's right. The, another important thing to know here is that they're continuing to add features to this program and they have plans to do that for the next three or four years. So to figure out which improvements make sense and are these new improvements working? Again, you need all of this information we talked about. And there's a good page in the report where you have a table that just lists all of the oversight steps that we've been talking about and all the documentation that's supposed to be produced that USDA didn't in this case. And, and just looking in from the outside, I got to say, it's a it's a pretty daunting list. And again, as an outsider, it makes me wonder if that much oversight and that much box checking is really compatible with anything resembling agile methodology. Is there a sweet spot between those things where you actually sure. have adequate oversight and you can move quickly and efficiently? Yeah, there definitely is. And that's a totally fair question. Uh, and, and that was one of the points USDA made to us is that we're conducting agile processes and our original methodology that we have documented supports the older waterfall approach. But just because you're doing Agile doesn't mean you need no documentation. You might need a different sort of documentation. You might need to have more streamlined versions of it and other things. Uh, but you can't have no documentation. There's no way that senior leadership can really effectively oversee these projects without having something showing key cost schedule milestones and are you hitting them or are you not hitting them. GAO has an Agile guide that lays out some of these challenges and some ways to handle them. And that's part of what we use to assess USDA for this report. So it sounds like part of this is USDA may just need to revise its oversight processes, but they need to have processes and they need to follow them. 
Correct. And that's a consistent theme we see across multiple federal agencies. A lot of agencies documented IT development processes are really set up for these older waterfall approaches, and they've really got to revise them to reflect the newer approach. Again, Agile doesn't mean you don't do any documentation, but maybe it means you do a different sort of documentation, more tailored, uh, more you know, directly focused on Agile steps. And so just to wrap us up, there's a lot of recommendations here. I think you had 15 in total. We don't have time to get into every single one of them. But beyond what we've covered, what are the key things that USDA needs to do kind of now to make sure that they have that they start to get on track toward adequate oversight of this program? Well, one of the things we said is to go back and take a look at what USDA said the required documentation is, but then make a conscious decision. Do we still need any of this after the fact, or maybe we don't need this, but going forward, we can do these other things. So that gets to your point of thinking about whether everything is totally needed. And then for the other areas we talked about, USDA does need to do things like measure whether it's providing good customer service and have a plan for reducing IT duplication overlap and figuring out how to fill its workforce gaps. So those summarize the key areas. USDA agreed with us in all of these recommendations. And for example, that board I mentioned that wasn't meeting, they said it had already started meeting since we issued our report. So that's definitely a good sign. And hopefully USDA will continue to make progress in addressing some of these issues. Vijay D'Souza is Director of Information Technology and Cybersecurity Issues at the Government Accountability Office, speaking with Federal News Network's Jared Serbu. Find this interview and a link to the report at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Hello and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, 
it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I, we'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it. Um, From Sea to the C-Suite, fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, And I I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention and it was it was, you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions. Uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy, and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy, and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From Sea to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture 
of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons and in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. <clears throat> Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler, and to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast. We'll see you next time. Helping your employees learn new cloud skills helps your business become more agile, more resilient, and more secure. Not helping employees learn new cloud skills causes your business to become less agile, less resilient, less secure, less innovative, less profitable, and, well, ultimately less of a business. Don't become less of a business. Try Pluralsight and get your employees everything they need to learn new cloud skills. Learn more at Pluralsight.com vision. Many of us, if we're being honest, have given up hope on good sleep. But why? Well, if you're like me, you've tried everything and nothing has helped. So if we're not going to sleep well anyway, why try? That kind of thinking is so 2021. It's time to rethink our nights and days and demand more from our sleep. Talk with your doctor about how you can seize the night and day and visit seize the night and day.com to learn more.